0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's even here, and this is Stuff You Should Know, one of the best episode topics I think we've ever come up with.
0: I agree. Uh, Ironically,
1: we're recording on a Thursday. (laughs) I know. It's Taco Thursday. Uh, But... I ate tacos for lunch, dude. I want a taco so bad, but I'm holding out until I see the next like good taco truck.
0: Yeah, so what I did, and I'm going to shout out my favorite taco places at the end. But um, tacos, as most people know, aren't aren't the best delivery food because they, you know, so you, you should eat right after assembly. Basically, is your best yes, taco. Totally. Uh, that's why when you go to a taco truck or a taqueria, they're putting those things together right in front of your face. Uh, But there's a place in Atlanta called Bar Taco in Inman Park, which they're kind of fancy schmancy tacos. Mm -hmm. uh, But they have a couple of really good ones, and they deliver a little taco kit, like a little bento box almost. Mm -hmm. You got your meat separate from your tortillas, separate from your feixons, and then you put it all together there at home. And it's uh, I got the... uh, the pork belly that's flavored with a pineapple sauce. It was sort of a El Pastor kind of flavor. Sounds like it. And then like a shredded beef. And boy, did it hit the spot after researching this for the past day and a half.
1: I can imagine. It I was had an open faced deli turkey sandwich with, oh, with cheese. Man. I just was weeping while I was eating it.
0: I could not have tacos. I tried to think of something else, but I got my tacos.
1: I think that was the right thing to do. I'll tell you what else was the right thing to do, Chuck, asking Dave Ruse to help us out with this one. Right. Because it turns out that Dave Ruse was apparently born to write this episode. (laughs) Yeah. So, so just a little bit of backstory. Um, Dave and his wife moved to Mexico looking for adventure years and years ago. Uh Uh-huh. And while he was down there, he, being the journalist he was— uh, and and meeting up with, like, really, really good authentic tacos for possibly the first time in his life, he decided he wanted to write a story, an article about how we got from authentic, you know, real good Mexican tacos like the ones you just described yeah. to the kind of tacos we had— in America as kids outside right. of Texas and California which is like that crispy hard shell little ground beef little taco seasoning iceberg lettuce tomatoes and just shut up and eat it and don't ask for anything else
0: which by the way i do love those i think they those can be are good. delicious
1: there's a place for them but it's the yeah. same place that that grilled cheese occupies yeah exactly you know or your square pizza yeah well 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 said so um the thing about Dave, though, is when he when he started researching this, he he found out like I guess he reached out to a guy named Jeffrey Pilcher <clears throat> as a source. Jeffrey Pilcher is a Latin American, or he's an historian of Latin America. Yep. I don't think he's Latin American. Um, and it, Jeffrey Pilcher realized that he didn't know actually the answer to that question: how we got from authentic Mexican tacos to kind of blandish American tacos, right?
0: Yeah. And I, it seems like he might have even, like Dave may have possibly been an inspiration for what ended up being the Jeffrey Pilcher book, Planet Taco: colon, mm-hmm. A Global History of Mexican Food, because he's even listed in the acknowledgments, right?
1: Yeah, he thanks Dave uh, um, directly for helping come up with this idea. Amazing. Uh, I can't remember exactly how he put it. So, okay, so then now we fast forward to 2021. Mm-hmm. We asked Dave to help us with the tacos article, and Dave goes back to Jeffrey Pilcher's book that he helped inspire as a source for this episode.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty great. And Dave loved Mexico so much, he— uh He ended up living there several different times for a total Mm -hmm. of about nine years.
1: The country he found so nice, he
0: lived there twice. (laughs) Thrice, I think. Oh, yeah, that's right. Country so nice, he lived there thrice. It still works, yeah. It makes, I mean, I have done very little travel in Mexico. I've done some of the border town Mm
1: -hmm. stuff
0: in Tijuana and Algodones, but uh, I really want to go south, south, south into central and south-central Mexico. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, I just got to do it. It's wonderful. I, I I worked at Mexicali Grill in college and ate Mexican food literally every day for three years. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of my favorite cuisines and favorite cultures in the world.
1: It's pretty good. Love one it. of the things that really is kind of shocking um, about all this, though, Chuck, is the taco. The thing that pretty much everybody in the world associates with Mexican cuisine is possibly the the latest comer of all of Mexican, what we would identify as Mexican cuisine. Yeah. It's actually a fairly recent invention. And that's pretty much what this episode is going to be about. How the taco got invented and then how we got from an actual authentic Mexican taco to the Americanized kind of Taco Bell version of it.
0: Yeah, and Dave makes a great point that, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s like we did, we had our, our uh, what's the brand again? Old El Paso, yeah, the old El Paso, like taco kit style tacos, Mm -hmm. and like I said, I still love them. You love them. There's a place for that. Uh, If you get, if you put that, pop that uh, taco shell in the oven and get it crispy, yeah, it's really a beautiful thing. uh, As long as it doesn't break in half, that it can get a little messy. Yeah, but while there's a place for those, uh, Dave makes the point, and I agree that like we are truly in the golden age of tacos here in the United States because it used to be like you said texas and california you could always get pretty good tacos once they came on the scene mm-hmm. in the 1950s or so but now every major city has world class tacos
1: yeah yeah and i mean not just like taco trucks that somebody pulled up and and thank god for those as well but i mean like like multiple taco restaurants taquerias like authentic ones all over the place then they're That in just about any town in the country. and I don't know exactly how it happened, but it happened, and it's great that it did. Because it's not like people from south of the border started showing up in, you know, 2005 and that was it, you know, and they brought tacos with them and and that kind of cuisine. Like, there have been plenty of Mexican and Central American uh, immigrants that have moved up into the United States for a very long time, and they they did bring tacos with them, but for some reason, it, those authentic tacos just took a while to catch on. I think, Chuck, it it was America that finally came around and caught up to what the, the uh, Mexican cuisine actually was, rather than being like, no, we don't want that. We want this Taco Bell version.
0: Yeah, I think I agree. And when I said every major American city, I'm talking if you want, you know, 50 taco places to choose from. Right. But Atlanta probably has that many. I've got... I looked on the map today out of curiosity, I counted like 17 taco places within literally three miles of my house. And those are just places that have taco in the name, right? Yeah, I mean, these were places that I, I mean, they weren't, I kind of threw some generic, or not generic, just some overall Mexican restaurants in there that have really great tacos. Okay, gotcha. But most of those were sort of taqueria style or taco trucks. Uh Uh, But, you know. Forget major American cities, like, small towns. Like, you can find really good tacos everywhere in this country now.
1: Yes. Yeah, the best the best taco I ever had, actually, was in some little I don't, countryside, rural area outside of Boston. I don't remember. We had a show in Boston, and then we had another show somewhere else that was within driving distance. And I was driving there. And no, okay. It was driving from Seattle to Portland. Oh, okay. Best taco I ever had. Driving really? from Seattle to Portland, in the middle of the the like nowhere, and there was a taco truck, and they had a beef tongue taco, and it was hands down the best taco I've ever had.
0: Yeah, I'm not in love with the tongue. I would, you know, when I worked at Mexicali in college, mm-hmm. in Athens, there was uh, the guys in the kitchen would. They would make our food, but then on special days, they would make their own food for themselves. Mm -hmm. And Mexicali didn't have stuff like tongue. It was a bunch of frat boys and stuff that were eating it. So they weren't into tripe and tongue. But they would make that stuff. And I would always try it. Don't love the texture of tongue. I definitely don't love the texture of tripe. uh, But I I gave it a whirl.
1: I did not like tripe. I would eat cabeza, which is cheek and jowl meat. I've had the 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 cheek tacos.
0: I like those better than the tongue and tripe.
1: I've never had beef cheeks, but I've had – no, actually, I guess I have had beef cheeks, but it wasn't in a taco. It was, like, prepared, like, braised beef cheeks, and they were delish. Yeah, but give me some carne
0: asada or shredded beef Mm -hmm. or carnitas Mm -hmm. or El Pastor. Uh, I'm down with chorizo, but that's probably lower on my list just because I like the others more. Yeah. I'll eat a fish taco. I'll eat a shrimp taco. I love those seafood tacos.
1: I like it all. Definitely. Definitely definitely yeah a good a good fish taco with some red cabbage slaw on there is pretty tough to beat really yeah and so i like let's the just do the this we'll talk <laughs> we'll talk about the tacos that we like for the rest of this episode i, like, <laughs> I like the fried fish and the stewed fish I do all too. good yep it is mm. all good and so it's worth restating again i think we are living in a golden age of tacos here in the united states clearly because You can find all these tacos. And if you're not out there finding all these tacos, and this sounds good, make a concerted effort to go find an authentic taco place and see what's what. And I'll bet you never really go back.
0: That's right. One last taco that I love is the Korean taco. Yes. The little fusion tacos that are out now that are so delicious.
1: Do you know the first time I ever even knew that existed was... Uh, Chad Crowley, who produced one of the producers on that show, had that catered some a Korean taco, Korean barbecue taco place somewhere over on the West Side. Had it catered? You were talking about like, Hand cooked
0: taqueria, my friend.
1: Is that what it was? Okay. Yeah. And and I, it was like I don't I don't ever want to leave this craft services yeah. table. I just yeah. want to stand here and eat these tacos for the. Let's just call off the shoot and do this.
0: Instead. Yeah, I still go there. Uh, there's a lot of. Uh, Houseware places over there. So whenever Emily and I go over there to look at those, I always Mm -hmm. pop into hand cook for some sesame fries and beef bulgogi tacos. Yeah. And the guy there, dude, still recognizes me from Stuff You Should Know, the TV show. That's awesome.
1: That's really cool. He's like, it was no good, but I recognize you.
0: Yeah, every time I go and he goes, hey, man, how you doing? You still doing the TV show? I'm like, for the 50th
1: time, no. (laughs) No. And he said, get
0: out. Very nice guy, though, and delicious tacos.
1: We got a shout-out, though. Roy Choi, apparently, was the guy who came up with Korean barbecue tacos. So he's worth mentioning for sure, at least for that. So I guess
0: we should really talk about tacos instead of just salivating and talking about our favorite
1: tacos. Agreed, because, like I said, Tacos are fairly recent creations as far as Mexican cuisine goes, but one of the things that is essential to a taco, the tortilla, is actually very, very, very old. Yes, it
0: is. And And technically, if you put something in a tortilla and eat it, mm -hmm. you could describe it as a taco. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, basically since the domestication in southern Mexico of corn about 8,700 years ago, Mm -hmm. they have been grinding that stuff up, uh, flattening it out, and and cooking it near a fire. Usually, you know, back then, like on a hot rock. Or, you know, we saw in Guatemala, they were still doing this yeah. by hand every morning. Yes. Some of the best tortillas you're ever going to have.
1: Yeah. But that was it. Like, then you have a tortilla after that. And they've been doing this for thousands of years. I think it was kicked off by the Maya who who figured this out. And then there was another really important innovation that the Olmec people came up with. And that was to take that corn and soak it in hot water with wood ash, which made an alkaline solution, basically. Mm-hmm. And that actually broke down the, um, the I think, the pericarb, the whole of the corn. Um, and changed the corn nutritionally. Like, it made a lot of the stuff inside more bioavailable. So, it took something that was already like, okay, this is this is fine, we can stay alive on this, and actually turned it into, like, a, a really nutrient-rich food. So, the tortillas you're eating, um, as long as they've undergone a process called nixtamalization, um, is actually pretty, pretty healthy for you.
0: Now, it sounds like you said the word tamale in there. Is mm-hmm, that right? I did, yes. Would it you like to there. spill the beans? I'm being coy.
1: So, in the uh, Nahuatl language, the the language of the Aztecs, uh, Nextili means ashes, and then tamale with an I means unformed maize dough, which will sound familiar if you've ever had a tamale with an E on the end.
0: Let me ask you this. Do you and Yumi ever do tacos yourself at home?
1: Yeah, we do more like uh, just variations on taco salad typically, but, you know, yeah, we'll get like some blue... Corn tacos once in a while and fill them up, or else we'll make we'll get like some of those like um some usually we do flour though like the this the ones you have to refrigerate we'll get those the loosey goosey ones sure make some fish tacos with slaw that kind of stuff yeah we do sometimes
0: all right I, if if you ever want to just kind of take it to the next level okay uh, I highly recommend making your own tortillas get a tortilla press okay and some maize or some masa. Mm Maze and just give it a whirl. It's, it's, they're a little tricky, but once you get the hang of it, it, uh, it really just takes things to a stratosphere that I previously did not know.
1: I can imagine. I'd never really even considered doing that, but I'm going to now. Yeah. Get it. Maybe I'll buy you a tortilla press. Would you accept that? Okay. I You have to now. You just <laughs> offer it on the on the podcast. Right, I will great. hold you to that. Good. I'll send you mine and I'll get a new one. <laughs> uh, right. I'm just kidding. I'll be like, there's like old crusty dough on this one. <laughs> Actually, a worn in.
0: I don't know if there's anything to that, but if it's like cast iron, that may, oh, may it's be something be. to that.
1: Yeah, like seasoned. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. Sure. So, um, we've got nixtamalization, which makes the, the stuff in the corn— that was already there, like iron and vitamin B3, way more bioavailable, right? Yes. It actually sucks calcium into the corn, so it adds a lot of calcium. It fortifies it with calcium. Just this process of soaking the corn in wood, ash, and water before you turn it into masa. And then it also kills off mycotoxins, which can mess you up pretty good, fungal toxins that can be present on corn. And when you put all this together, especially if you— Added together with some beans, you have what's called the complete protein, huh?
0: That's right. And that means uh, you can indulge in those tacos and feel good about it. Uh, a complete protein is when you have the nine essential amino acids in uh, basically equal amounts. And here's the little trick to tacos, though, that make it special. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have beans, and you're not a complete protein. You can have corn, and you're not a complete protein. Yeah. But if you put those things together... You do have a complete protein mm-hmm. because beans have all those essential amino acids, but one it's called uh, methionine. And corn does have that. So it's, it's almost like it
1: was meant to be. Yeah. Corn's like, oh, I'll help you out with some methionine, no problem. Yeah, oh, man. Re fried beans. I know. Uh, there's something about food that you, when you know that they form some sort of like natural pattern, yeah. just makes them even more satisfying and wholesome.
0: Yeah, or when things come together to make a greater whole.
1: Yeah. Ugh.
0: Exactly. Should we take a break?
1: Yeah, let's take a break and we'll get back to the uh we'll get to um contact between the Spanish and the Mesoamericans.
0: And How to take the
1: all up Jerry okay so um we've got the invention of the tortilla but that doesn't mean the tacos were invented yet um one of the reasons why tacos you can't say tacos were invented yet is because um Mesoamericans use tortillas for just about everything. I think the Spanish said that Montezuma, um the the emperor of the Aztecs, who was running the show when the Spaniards showed up in fifteen nineteen, um, that he would uh eat he would basically use his tortillas as a as a spoon. Yeah. Much much the same way have you ever eaten Ethiopian food?
0: Yeah, I mean I do this with tortillas, but sure.
1: You know, so I can't remember the name of the bread, but they use that bread for, like, everything. It's just it's just generally a utensil as much as it is a food. And apparently that the, the Aztecs used to do that with tortillas, and I, I would guess Mesoamericans as a whole. So Dave points out quite rightly that you can't really say what they were eating were tacos, even though they might have even been putting stuff in these tortillas, in the way that you couldn't say that— you know, whatever you were eating was a sandwich because there was a, a loaf of bread on the table or a basket of rolls on the table, uh, in, in the exact same way that that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I remember when I went when I lived in Yuma 25 years ago and I went to Algodones right over the border mm-hmm. for the first time and I saw the uh, the local Mexican population with these big plates of like stewed meat mm-hmm. and they w- had the tortillas and I was like, oh, they're gonna assemble that to a taco, but no, no, yeah. they ripped it up and they would just use it to grab the meat and put it in their mouth. And I thought that's when the lights kind of went off. And, you know, I still love the the traditional taco too, but I also love to just put the stuff on my plate and use it as a spoon or a, or a grabber.
1: Sure. It's like, uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a kind of sushi. It's almost like deconstructed sushi mm-hmm. where they don't bother to turn it into a roll. It's just a bed of rice and then they put all the stuff you would put in the sushi just on top of the rice. So, it's technically not sushi, even though all of the elements are there.
0: Yeah. And I do the same thing with Indian food, with the, the garlic naan.
1: Yes. Which, again, is another one of my favorite cuisines, too. Like, me Indian too. food. Oh, my God. it just all makes I, me so I, hungry. I love, like, all food. <laughs> Yumi's always saying, she, she's like, it, it doesn't really matter whenever you talk about how great a food is, because you think all food is good. And yeah, it's true. Like, I love... Is. Just about all food. There's really not a food that I'm like, I don't like that wholesale, you know? Yeah, I know.
0: One of my favorite hobbies is eating foods. Seems <laughs> so good. Uh, so the taco, though, back then, like you said, they were using these tortillas as spoons and such like that. And it was about the late 1800s that sort of the Mexican taco that we're familiar with finally kind of comes on the scene.
1: Mm-hmm. So, the word taco is kind of up for debate, isn't it? Yeah,
0: I mean, taco was a word in Spain, you know, hundreds of years ago, but it didn't mean the food. It was it meant a lot of different things, but one of the things it meant that's going to come into play with uh, the food was uh, it was like a plug or a tack stuffed into the barrel of a musket Mm -hmm. to keep that ball settled. Uh, It also was like a, a shot of wine or a... A hammer or a, a billiard cue—you could call a taco, but mm-hmm. at the time, none of those words had anything to do with the food.
1: No. So the word taco predates the food taco. That seems to be the clear, the clear yeah. aspect of this, the clear upshot, as I would say. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. There's also a uh, there's also a rival to the Spanish word taco, T A C O, and that's a, a Nahuatl uh, word taco. <laughs> With an L in there, basically. Yeah. T-L-A-H-C-O. And it apparently means middle or half. And from everything I've seen, that is uh, an incorrect etymology for the, the word taco as we understand it today. That it's just total coincidence.
0: Right. But you might see some people claiming that, correct?
1: Yes. But they are wrong from what I can tell.
0: That's right. So, to get from the musket plug to the food, uh, in Pilcher's books, he makes a... Uh, a guess that I, a surmise that other people have also made that sounds pretty good to me, yeah uh with this story in Hidalgo uh it was a silver mining town uh Real del Monte specifically. And what the guys in the mine would do is they would work and uh, their uh, sometimes daughters and wives would bring them their lunch, which was something a lot like a taco, like uh, beans or that stewed meat or maybe some avocado wrapped in a tortilla. Mm -hmm. And they would put it in a towel-lined basket where they get all nice and steamy and bring it down there for lunch. So while they're working in the mine, they're blasting holes in the rock, which they do by carving out a hole and then stuffing in an explosive, which they call the taco.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it might seem like a tenuous connection, but in Mexico City, in the early 20th century, there was a taco called tacos de Minero, a miner's taco. Mm-hmm. and some other variations: a tacos de canasta, tacos from a basket, or tacos sudados. Sweaty or steam tacos. Mm-hmm. And that kind of draws the line, I think, pretty clearly.
1: Yeah. And all three of those were basically different names for the same preparation, where yeah. when you fried them and then you stacked them all together, you would cover them with like a, a little, um, a little like napkin or something like that um, in the basket to allow them to, to to steam themselves to finish right, and to me that's where the word taco comes from, not from the food wrapped in the tortilla, but from that kind of food wrapped up in that cloth napkin yeah. in the same way that they were wrapping explosive in cloth and stuffing it in there. That to me is the is the the correlation rather than the food, the fact that it was in a basket wrapped up in fabric.
0: Yeah, and food wrapped up in a tortilla.
1: Sure. I mean, I get it. It's it's They're both possible. I'm just putting my own hypothesis gotcha. <laughs> out there now. Okay, everybody? You're like, it's not the tortilla, it's the napkin. <laughs> that's, honestly, it makes sense to me when I we're gotcha. talking about explosive plugs wrapped in fabric, you know what I mean? How about an explosive, delicious food? Well, that's the thing. And I totally understand that they could have been like, there's a bomb in one hand and a food bomb (laughs) in the other hand. So I I get it. I'm
0: with it. Uh, Taco in print, talking about a taco as food, Yeah, uh, I believe for the first time was in 1891 in a novel called Los Bandidos de Rio Frio, Mm -hmm. The Bandits of Cold River. And there's a line in that book where they're talking about a celebration in Mexico City, and they say uh, chito, which is fried goat with tortillas, and the children skipping with tacos of tortillas and avocado in their hand.
1: Sounds great! What an idyllic little bucolic scene that is.
0: I wish I was there.
1: Yeah, anywhere there's fried goat being served, I wish I was there.
0: No, I'm not done with the goat, but
1: sure. Oh, it's so. I'm good. with you. <laughs> I <can't>. um, oh. <laughs> so um, so it seems to be okay. We've got taco as a food. It's appearing in print by 1891 at the at the latest, which means that if you're if you write something down, this is basically true across history, as we've seen in episode after episode, if you write something down and you don't explain it, that means to people coming a hundred or so years later looking back at this, that 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 means that this has been around, and everybody already knows what this is. I'm just referring to something that everybody's familiar with. It's not a new invention. So somewhere between the time that people were creating these taco plugs in the silver mines in the middle of the 19th century, maybe late 19th century, and 1891, tacos became a thing. They were invented somewhere in there.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it was in an actual Mexican dictionary in 1895, Mm defined as taco as the food and Mexico City as its birthplace.
1: Yeah, it seems like Mexico City was ground zero for this place and that they they believe that by the turn of the 20th century um Mexico City was starting to become a, a bustling metropolis again. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. So apparently, by 1910, Mexico City had become like a, a huge, a huge town of a people of a population of about half a million people, which is pretty significant, right? Sure. And this is 1910 when this happens. If you went back to 15, uh, about 1500, say about 400 years earlier, yeah, b- right before contact with the Europeans. Um, The same city, Tenochtitlan, which Mexico City was built on, but the Aztec city that was there before, had about 400,000 people. Just under half a million. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, I mean, you would think
0: that by 1910 they would have over a million.
1: Right, but they wouldn't, and one reason why is because the population took a nosedive both— between conquest of the spanish and the violence that broke out from that but also even worse from the smallpox that the spanish brought with them which wiped out 40% of the uh, population of tenochtitlan in one year the wow. year after contact 40% of the city died from smallpox jeez that's So
0: amazing. it took
1: it took that long to rebound by all the way up to 1910 it it got it finally surpassed its pre-contact population
0: so 1910, things are cooking, literally, in Mexico City, mm-hmm. and a lot of people from you know more rural Mexico had moved there to get work, uh, to work in the factories, and they were living in uh, you know small tenements, basically, and they didn't have these big, full kitchens, usually, to work with. So this is where the the street taco, or the taquerias, really started to pop up, where you would go outside for dinner, and you would go down to the street and find these delicious, mouth-watering taquerias. Uh, and they were you know they were bringing in influences from every corner of Mexico because you know mexico 's a huge country, just like you know the united states has and every country has like regional food specialties, same is true in Mexico, and all of these different flavors were coming into central Mexico City and exploding onto the food scene there,
1: yes. I mean, the the varied and various cuisines that are brought by different peoples is not the not the least reason why multiculturalism is a great thing, you know?
0: <laughs> Agreed.
1: And Mexico City is a melting pot at the beginning of the 20th century. I mean, all these people were bringing it. And, and not just from Mexico or every part of Mexico, um, but there were some influences like outside of Mexico too, like uh, Tacos al Pastor, right? The one you mentioned earlier that you got kind of a deconstructed version of today.
0: Yeah, the, with that pineapple flavor. And that one I think has a, a pretty interesting story, which I never knew. It was, uh, it originated in Lebanon in and, uh, and specifically in the Mexican state of Puebla. We had these, uh, or they, I say we, I feel like I'm living in Mexico right now.
1: After those tacos you had, <laughs> I can imagine why. I uh,
0: had these Lebanon uh, or Lebanese immigrants settling there in the early 20th century and they started selling their gyros and they had those lambs on the vertical spit hmm. uh, like they still have today and they were cutting off strips of it, putting it on a pita. Uh, sometimes a flour tortilla. And in Pueblo, there were and still are known as tacos uh, arabes, which is Arab, uh, like Arab tacos. Mm-hmm. And the Mexicans there said, hey, they're really onto something here with this vertical spit, but let's throw a adobo pork butt up there instead.
1: Mm-hmm. And and throw a little grilled pineapple on there as well. And Mm -hmm. you have what we recognize as tacos al pastor, which means shepherd's tacos, which is a reference to the uh, Bedouin roots of the Lebanese immigrants who came over. Great story. It is a great story. And actually, Chuck, that reminds me of another story. I was talking about, I was boasting about how I love all food. Mm -hmm. There's actually um, one of the few things I've ever sent back in my life. Oh, no. Was at a Lebanese restaurant in Toledo called the Beirut. She may still be there. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um a little on the nose, but sure. And my family was uh was feeling pretty adventurous and ordered a bunch of stuff off the menu. And one of the things we ordered, it didn't really sink in what we were ordering, but they brought out a bunt cake, a full size bunt cakes, <laughs> bunt pans worth yeah. of raw ground meat. <laughs> <laughs> covered in raw egg oh my gosh and it was just on this big plate and it was like dig in and we were just like we can't we're we, ca- we can't we can we can not and i still to this wow. state feel bad about wasting that meat do you know what it was like what that dish is i don't remember what it's called someone right. will let us know I, I i sure and i yeah i think it was i don't think it was like a, an invention of of that restaurant's owners or the cook or yeah, the sure. chef i should say um but i haven't seen it very frequently since then but it was I, we just we we're like no i'm not going to do that
0: one well i mean hats off to your family in the 1980s in toledo for going to a lebanese restaurant we didn't we didn't we had chinese food and that was about
1: as crazy as we got oh we got fancy not only did we go to the beirut once in a while we also sometimes went to in japanese steakhouse which is a hibachi <laughs> steakhouse so we got real ethnic sometimes
0: Yeah, that stuff was, we couldn't afford that. Not like you were rich or anything, but uh, we ate a lot at home, so we didn't even go out that much. So when we did, it was pretty conservative. But it, it wasn't until my 20s, till I left home and got into college, that I really started exploring foods of the world.
1: Yeah, well, good for you for doing that. Some people never do, you know, especially if they were raised without being exposed to it. So it's good that you did.
0: What's so great about multiculturalism? Food. The food. (laughs) Beautiful babies.
1: Yeah, beautiful babies for sure. Plenty of stuff, different points of view, all sorts of great things. But really, food. Sure. So, you want to take another break and then get back to tacos continuing on? Because we finally reached the point where we're like, okay, tacos now exist, but they're pretty much being slung out of food carts in Mexico City right now at the beginning of the 20th century.
0: Yeah, we're going to take a trip to Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. right after this. resort and call it How to take a and all about don't explain so everything to your brain sh- explodes. 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 Chuck. And Josh. It's you should know. Know. You know word up jerry all right smoggy kind of uh already overcrowded gross los angeles in the 1940s and 50s mm-hmm. uh was a very segregated place uh there were plenty of mexican residents there were plenty of Uh, black Americans, there were plenty of Asian residents. There were plenty of people, it was a melting pot, but they tended to, um, there was a white flight that happened and they tended to live apart by the 1940s. Uh, Sort of the suburbs in the valley, uh, Orange County maybe is where a lot of white people fled to, and not entirely. But uh, if you wanted to live inside Los Angeles, like maybe East Los Angeles, you may have been from Mexico originally.
1: Yeah, like Cheech Marin. Yeah, born in East LA. Yeah, that's right. Man, what a great song that was. <laughs> so, um, in, in, so Jeffrey Pilcher, Senior Pilcher, um, he thought to look around at the, um, I think he got his hands on some phone books from Los Angeles in the 40s and 50s and started looking up taco joints. Because remember, at the behest of one Dave Ruse, who would become a stuff you should know legendary writer. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeffrey Pilcher's on this quest now to figure out how we got to the Americanized version of tacos. So he's tracing it from Mexico City up to California, as mm-hmm. one would do. And he did that by, by looking at the... Um, at the phone book. And what he found (laughs) is that outside of East LA, you could find plenty of restaurants that were taco joints. But in East LA, there were only two restaurants in the phone book that had the name taco in them, which would suggest Chuck that, that, that they didn't eat tacos in like in authentic Mexican, uh, Mexican American neighborhoods. But that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I
0: think what has been surmised, and I fully agree, Mm -hmm. is that there were plenty of places in East L.A. serving tacos. They just didn't feel the need to advertise it as a taco place to make it – it it was sort of – if you were a a white American or a black American in the 1940s and 50s in L.A., uh, Mexican food might have seemed exotic and maybe a little dangerous to try. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, like, dangerous for your stomach, that is.
1: Right, right, right.
0: So, Tacos was a safe sell, essentially, is what uh, has been speculated. Like, to put taco on a sign, people are like, oh, well, I've heard of Tacos. I can try this place
1: out. Right. And so, um, uh, Pilcher came up with some some pretty great names that he found in the, um, in the predominantly white, predominantly black um, neighborhoods in L.A. that had taco in the name. Um, Apparently, the first one in Los Angeles that catered to uh, um, non-Mexican customers was called Taco House, and that opened up in the early 40s. It's a pretty legit name, especially if you're saying, hey, um, American people, um, uh, particularly white people and black people, Taco House, that seems approachable, right? You're not afraid of that. Come eat here. That makes sense. They didn't even say Taco Casa. No, that would be, whoa, no. That would have blown the minds back in the early 40s.
0: Uh, I like any restaurant with town at the end, so Ernie's Taco Town kind of speaks to me.
1: Yeah. How about Alice and Burt's Places?
0: Burt's Taco Junction? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's good. I wonder if it was an old train caboose.
1: Yeah, Alice's Taco Terrace, which is fine. Yeah, Frank's Taco Inn, that's a good one. I've never gotten why you would call a restaurant an inn. Because typically you sleep at an inn, you know? Yeah, I've never gotten that because we had Village Inn Pizza. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and I don't, I never got it. I tried to sleep there and it never worked. <laughs> no,
1: I'm so full.
0: <laughs> uh, and then in Watts, uh, which is a predominantly or historically at least black neighborhood, uh, you had Taco Kid and Taco the Town.
1: Yeah, that's a great one for sure. Not I looked Taco the Town is not around anymore. Oh, that's sad. But apparently there is a Taco the Town in... Maine, I believe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Maine tacos! I bet you even Maine has some good tacos here and there. <laughs> For sure. That For would sure. be the least likely state, I would say, like Maine and Alaska.
1: Right. So, um, we've got we've gotten to the point where now there's tacos in Los Angeles, right? They've crept up. People mm-hmm. are starting to create them and uh, cater to non-Mexican and non-Central uh, American palates. Um, and a lot of people say, okay, well, it was actually Glenn Bell, the guy who founded Taco Bell. Which, did you know that there was a person with the last name of Bell that founded Taco Bell? No, I didn't. I, I didn't either. It's insane. Like, I, my my whole views changed. Like Jimmy
0: Hutt's uh, pizza chain.
1: <laughs> right. I've got one for you, Chuck. Did you what? know that the very first Pizza Hut was in Wichita, Kansas? <laughs> really? Yeah. And oh, the wow. very first KFC, guess what city that was in?
0: Oh, please tell me it's Kentucky somewhere. No. Where? S-
1: Salt Lake City, Utah. What?
0: Yeah, it's true. Wow. The
1: colonel really was from Kentucky. Okay, But the first Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurant was S- open in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. City. Huh. I no, think no. it's one of those things where it's like, if you open a thing based on a regional cuisine, the one mm-hmm. place that's not going to do well is in the actual region that that cuisine comes from.
0: Well, they don't have Taco Bells in Mexico.
1: No, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk. Uh, we'll taco that later. <laughs> All right. So, again,
0: uh, Senor Pilcher, uh, I got to read this book. It sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about the fact that uh, if you were a Mexican immigrant and you were building a restaurant scene in the United States and you wanted to appeal to the Americans there, mm-hmm. then you might want to – like source ingredients that they, you're probably not throwing tripe their way right out of the, uh, the barrel, you know. <laughs> you like you might want to look at <laughs> the, the ingredients that are readily available, um, that people like, and like ground beef is one of them. So that ground beef as a central ingredient to those American tacos was really early on.
1: Dude, I can't tell you how, how late it was in life before I even had a chicken taco for Pete's sake.
0: Yeah, I know I'm with you.
1: It was all ground beef. It was like, that's Mm -hmm. all there was, you know? Even if you went to a Mexican restaurant that was not really a Mexican restaurant, like we used to go to Chi-Chi's. Yeah, ground beef. Ground beef in everything. (laughs) It was just ground beef. And actually, that reminds me, Chuck, I turned up, there's this um, 1998 Onion article that I remember from like 1998. It made that much of an impression on me. (laughs) Yeah, what's the headline? Taco Bell's five ingredients used in completely new way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the article talks about how you've never had anything like this. Right. In this one, the beef is on top of the beans, <laughs> which is on top of the cheese.
0: It is funny how they do that still. Yeah. You know, just make these crazy combinations of the same thing.
1: Right. But the upshot of all of this is that um, a lot of people lay or um, credit— uh, Glenn Bell with inventing the Americanized taco, and that's not necessarily the case. It was some of these Mexican uh, American immigrants who were creating these tacos to to cater to American tastes, but then also based like you were saying on stuff that was easily obtained, cheap, because everybody knows restaurant margins are so thin, yeah. it's incomprehensible why anyone opens a restaurant if you're just trying to make money. Right. Um, and when you put all that together, people were making what you and I at age 10 would have recognized as a taco before <laughs> Glenn Bell came along and started making tacos himself.
0: Yeah, and a lot of people say, well, Glenn Bell at the very least invented the, uh, the technology where you could fry up these tortilla, these corn tortillas into these perfectly little shaped taco shells. hmm and he kind of did. It seems like it was one of the cases where a few different people all sort of had the same idea within a few years of one another mm-hmm. uh, without even stealing from each other. Yeah. Because uh, there was a man in 1949 in Arizona named uh, Joseph Pampa, who filed an application for a deep fryer basket that made these perfect little taco shells. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a couple of years before them, there was another restaurateur named uh, Juvencio Maldonado, great name. mm mm-hmm. And he actually won the patent out of New York City in 1947. Uh, but Glenn Bell also created his own version, it seems like, independently.
1: Yeah, and the reason why everybody was having this kind of same idea at the same time is because part of, like, the zeitgeist of the time as far as food went was the idea that fast food was awesome. Yeah. And creating food quickly and efficiently was thrilling. Um, because prior to this, if you made tacos, you made the tacos as— you know, as ordered, to order. And you took these uncooked flour tortillas and then you fried them up and made tacos that way. And this was like, no, no, it, just imagine if you had the shells already ready, it would save so right. much time and knock these Bobby Soccer socks off.
0: Right, and if you happen to break the shells, it's a nacho.
1: Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's what my T-shirt says. Uh, so in 1948,
0: Glenn Bell has opened a hot dog and hamburger stand in San Bernardino, in San berdu, California, mm-hmm. uh, across from the original McDonald's, if you remember that episode, which is pretty fun, mm-hmm. which started out as a barbecue restaurant. And he was doing okay. He wasn't doing that great. But he he noticed across the street there was a Rex, uh, a Mexican restaurant called, uh, I guess it's the Mitla Cafe, M-I-T-L-A,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that had been opened since 1937 by the Rodriguez family. And it was it was not a taco uh, stand. It was like a full sit-down, full-service restaurant, open breakfast, lunch, and dinner that was killing it. And he was like, I got to get me some of that.
1: Yes. And we've reached the point where um, I, I want to point out that Dave Ruse is a born food writer because the, the reason <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> both of us wanted tacos so bad is be, in large part because of Dave's Really great descriptive writing. But Agreed. he talked about how, like, the Meatla Cafe, it wasn't a taco joint, but they had killer tacos. And they had um, something called Tacos Dorados, which is a golden fried taco. And he said that at night, young people would show up at the Meatla Cafe craving a quick bite. And the bestseller was a freshly fried bag of Tacos Dorados, golden fried tacos.
0: <laughs> that is good food writing. It makes me hungry. Uh, yeah. Imagine that. And these are essentially taquitos, right?
1: Yeah, they would take a a corn tortilla, put ground beef in it, roll it up, put a toothpick in it to hold it together, and then fry that. And then they would put the cheese and the lettuce and the tomatoes on the outside. And I shouldn't say would because Meat La Cafe is still there, and they still serve um, tacos dorados. Yeah, it's taquitos. I love it. Sometimes
0: I'll get taquitos. Sure, yeah, if you stop at a a racetrack or
1: something. No.
0: (laughs) Or the quick trip. Have you ever seen those like, they look like a taquito and a hot dog like made love or something. I'm not even sure what it is. Mm, that sounds hot. <laughs> uh, no, I like taquitos in a in a place or flautas is another name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan of the chimichanga, which is different. That's yeah. like a deep fried burrito. But That's you know, an American put, invention. Yeah, put anything in a fryer basket and I'm all over it.
1: Dude, I'm with you. But also that sauce that's peculiar to the chimichanga is so good. It is. Oh man! And plus, it's just fun to say when you order it.
0: Yeah, I haven't found a great one here in Atlanta near me because all the places near me are a little more authentic and they don't have them.
1: Uh, oh yeah, I was gonna say like you um you yeah <laughs> there are places near me, but I just don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> right, but there, but yeah, if it's authentic, they're probably not going to have a chimichanga. That's an American American Mexican food, or it's a Mexican place that's catering to Americans. Right, exactly. So, the reason that we're bringing up the Meatla Cafe is because this is where Glenn Bell learned to fry up tacos, to make tacos. And it's not entirely fair to say that he stole the idea from the Rodriguez family who were running the Meatla Cafe and came up with the Tacos Dorados because he, Glenn Bell... Became a regular customer there. But he was there not just to enjoy the food, but to kind of like spy on them and watch yeah. the process and figure <laughs> sure. out how to do it. And there is a guy named Gustavo Arellano, Ariano. He wrote Taco USA colon, how Mexican food conquered America. And he's the guy who seems to be the one who really turned up the story about how the Meatla Cafe was the was the basis of Taco Bell originally. in um, that with the when the Rodriguez family figured out that that um that that Glenn Bell wanted to learn how to make tacos Dorados and was mm-hmm. kind of surreptitiously learning by spying, mm-hmm. they invited him into the kitchen to teach him how to do oh, it. Wow. They just showed him how to do it. see That's what a great ex- culture so exactly so um Glenn Bell went off and he um basically he he started he went from making hamburgers and hot dogs to making tacos based on the Tacos Dorados thing. But he was also combining it with inspiration from the McDonald's brothers across the (laughs) street who had gotten into really efficient fast food. So he was trying to figure out how to make Tacos Dorados as fast as possible.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is where he comes up with his uh, 1951 frying contraption. Uh, And... We should point out when it was a very sort of Americanized version of the of the taquito. He actually topped his with chili dog sauce <laughs> from his hot dog days. I'm not going to hate on that. I bet it's delicious. Sure, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, uh, but he was looking to open up his first taco restaurant in '51, uh, and he did so. And a consultant was helping out with the naming, and they said, "What about uh, La Tapatia?" Sure. Uh, which is uh, a nickname for a woman from Guadalajara and he said, Yeah, La tia is great, but how just how about just taco tia? And they said I that makes like taco ant. That makes no sense. You no. know, that's fine.
1: Sure. Well, it's an ant who loves tacos, it makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, an aunt rather, not a not a insect ant. <laughs> <laughs> right. To be to be clear.
1: So he had taco tia. Um, and then he went on. He's like, I really like this taco thing. I'm going to start another chain with a couple of Rams football players. They created El Taco, and that yeah. went well for four years. And then he sold out his portion of that. And then he finally created the first Taco Bell in 1962 in Downey, California, right?
0: 1962. Diarrhea is born.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Taco Bell.
0: I love Taco Bell. Like We've talked about it before. I'd never, ever have it, but... Uh, I had it once about four or five months ago Mm -hmm. for the first time in a couple of years, and it was so good, Mm
1: -hmm. and I had diarrhea. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why you'd associate that with that, huh? It was worth it, though. So the first one, they call it Taco Bell Numero Uno, the one in Downey, California that he opened in 1962. It is one of the most adorable buildings you'll ever see in your life the sign is awesome the front the the um the overhang is awesome it's in a mission revival style um and actually glenn bell envisioned it as kind of like a community center so like he had fire pits there was like mariachi music and dancing it was way more than it 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 should have been as just a a taco joint a fast food taco joint and it took off really quickly within five years he had a hundred stores open
0: yeah, and they, you know, they still even in the '80s and '70s used the similar signage. I like when I saw Taco Bell Numero Uno, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what they call it, by the way. We're not just trying to be cute. No, um, not us. I recognize <laughs> <laughs> never. I recognize that sign immediately. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that from when I was a kid. Uh-huh. And they did have sort of, and they still sort of had that Mission, you know, that sort of stucco look right. to the restaurant.
1: Until the 90s, I ran across an architectural digest blog. It said we legit want our apartments to look like 90s Taco Bells because there's a lot of like weird (laughs) Memphis style mixed in. But um, it was, I remember when it transitioned from the old.
0: Oh, they don't have those now?
1: No, not really. It's way more slick. Looking. Okay, I haven't really noticed. There was a there was a big transition. There's actually been a couple since that one where they went from the ones where we were kids to the '90s versions. Yeah, and it was a sad day. I remember being like, "Something's been lost here. I don't like this new stuff."
0: Yeah, it looks like I, I, Zach Morris
1: took <laughs> over and redesigned the whole thing.
0: Uh, I, well, that's just because the big uh, mural of Screech on the side. All <laughs> right, uh, uh, Screech in a sombrero.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, he died, didn't he?
1: He did. Very sad lung right. cancer and even though he didn't smoke.
0: Jeez, that's terrible. Yeah. Uh I remember Del Taco too. That was the other big one uh growing up and that went out of business eventually, but uh Del Taco and Taco Bell were the two biggies. Taco Bell
1: or Del Taco still around? Is it? Oh, oh yeah, I they all I, shut down no? I had another Del Taco by my house um not very far away from it and it's it's I had not had it until ever oh, wow. until maybe 2019, 2020. I
0: think they've That's slim good. though. I don't see those much anymore. It seem yeah. to be like a legit rival to Taco Bell, but Taco Bell squashed them with a the tortilla press
1: yeah, in there's a big like, way. Just in the U.S. alone, there's 7,000 Taco Bell locations. That is a lot, and they're all over the world except Mexico. Yeah, they tried in 1992 and 2007 to open up Taco Bell's in Mexico City, and they did, and That's they an just insult. did not go very far. <laughs> but they, there, um, I think in 2015 there was a campaign to save Taco Bell Numero Uno because they were going to demolish it. There was actually a KFC slash Taco Bell across the street from it, and um, that that lot where Taco Bell Numero Uno was was being redeveloped. And there was a campaign to to save it and they moved it in two thousand fifteen. They moved it, I think forty-five miles from Downey to Irvine, where Taco Bell's headquarters is. And Yeah, there's uh there's a
0: lot of stories on this online, but I would recommend you go to Pee Wee Herman's website, peewee.com. Yeah. Uh there's a really, really I, I found the best article was there because it has all kinds of pictures of the restaurant now wrapped up in the parking lot of the headquarters and then there's a video there's pictures of it going down the freeway, uh, on a truck with, uh, you know, the extra wide load with a police escort. And like there were 20 or 30 cars of like people that like took the two hour journey honking their horns and stuff. Yeah. So it's really kind of a fun story. Uh, they sadly haven't found a place where it's still cause I saw follow up last year. Um, they're still looking for a permanent home for it though.
1: Yeah, apparently it's still just, like you said, wrapped up in the parking lot um, in yeah. a tarp on the trailer still. Just kind of off in a corner of the parking lot, which is a uh, hopefully not the end of the place, I guess.
0: Uh, and big shout out to the conservation group We Are The Next, because they're who uh, headed up that whole plan. Very to nice. save a building that a lot of people would say is not historically significant.
1: Sure. You should have sent me that Pee Wee Herman link. I would have liked to have seen that. I'd love that guy.
0: Oh, you didn't see it? No. I mean, it had all the same stuff. It just had a couple of cool pictures.
1: Gotcha. Um, You got anything else? I got nothing else. Okay. Well, if you want to know more about tacos, go eat some tacos. Find some authentic ones and see what you think. Uh, And since I said see what you think, it's time for Listener Mail.
0: Well, before Listener Mail, I did promise to shout out my favorite taco places. So uh, can we do that?
1: Yeah, let's, man.
0: And you feel free as well. Uh, In San Francisco, Taco Bar. Okay. Okay. Right there in uh, sort of Lower Hate, I'm sorry, not Lower Hate, Lower Pacific Heights. Mm-hmm. Uh, Los Angeles, Yuccas in Los Feliz was one of my favorites. Okay. Uh, Senior Fish in Eagle Rock. And then there was one called uh, Seven Mares uh, in Silver Lake that I think closed down, but has now opened up as Playita, and it was very seafood-focused.
1: Mares like mares of a town or mares like horses?
0: Like horses. I got gotcha. you. I think it was El Siete Mares was how you would really say oh, it's it. Oh, that's very pretty. The Seven See,
1: Mares. You wouldn't know that if it, if it weren't <laughs> for multiculturalism.
0: They had really good uh, ceviche, really good seafood. Uh, and then here in uh, Atlanta, El Tesoro and Kirkwood, uh, Mescalitos and Oakhurst. Hmm. Any place on Buford Highway, sure, you're going to get good authentic uh, Mexican food and tacos. So those are my shout outs.
1: Yes. Do you have any? No, I don't. I need to get out to more taco places, apparently. Shout out to the the uh, food truck whose name I did not get in between Seattle and Portland that one time.
0: Yeah, slater Kenny Tacos is what it's called. <laughs> That's all right. All right, all so right. listener mail?
1: Listener mail. Uh, I'm just going to call this nice email
0: from a nice human. Okay. Uh, hey, guys, wanted to share with how your show is helpful and enjoyable to me and how I used my experience to help a friend. Uh, my friend started new medication and messaged me expressing insomnia troubles that came on as a result. I empathize and explain how I actually use stuff you should know to help me fall asleep when my mind is running 100 miles an hour. Nice. I put on an older episode with a sleep timer and let my brain focus on the topic of discussion. I also find your voices really calming, probably because I'm so familiar with hearing them almost every day for the past few years. Uh, of course, I suggested speaking to her doctor, too, but I encouraged, encouraged her to look into your podcast, uh, even just for the general curiosity and enjoyment. Uh, since my husband and I moved overseas, for his military obligations, I find your show even more important in my life, because I feel connected uh, to the routines and the life I was used to living before we moved. Thanks for all the hard work you put into each episode. Your content and enthusiasm truly bring a joy and brightness to this world, and I'm extremely grateful. hope you have a wonderful new year of 2022, and I look forward to continuing listening for as long as you're willing
1: to make episodes. That is from Katie Frattonale. Very nice. Thanks a lot, Katie. I remember, I've probably said this before a million times, I used to take, not offense, but I used to be like, what exactly does that mean when people said that they use this to fall asleep? And then I was like, no, this is, that is a high honor that you can put people (laughs) to sleep, you know? Yeah, you're in bed with somebody and you're soothing them. Yeah, especially if they have trouble sleeping like to a clinical degree and you can help them, that is, I mean, I'm gonna have that put on on my tombstone. You should could put people people to sleep. (laughs) And now he's sleeping. The big sleep. (laughs) It's a little birdie. Workshop it. Um, All right. Well, if you want to be like Kate. Katie. Oh, sorry. Katie. If you want to be like Katie and send us a great email like Katie did, uh, you can send it to us at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know
0: is a production of iHeartRadio.